0: Welcome to Becoming Divine. My name is Julia Wesley. I am a professional medium and a channel for my guides, and today we have very special guest Irene McKenna with us. She is a conscious parenting and relationship coach. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: I'm excited to talk to you because I know that you focus on motherhood and in terms of Spirituality and using tools spirituality provides for us. I don't see anyone talking about that. So I would love to hear your perspective on how you use those tools and how you've grown in your spirituality to help you be a better mom and help other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So truly, I think in all parenting, if we change our focus from the child and what the child is doing and their behavior, because we've so learned through our own childhoods that our validation comes from outside of ourselves. So like our child's behavior is our worth as a mom, or it's all that we're doing for everyone else. We're keeping the peace. We've learned to quiet our voice and play small. So what I've really stepped into is experimenting with the parts of ourself that operate from this foundation of love, source, God, whatever the case may be for you and mm-hmm. tapping into that, because if we can create that, oneness but separate ourselves from their choices their behavior then we become more of their guide and their teacher but it has to begin with us and tapping into ourselves it can look very different for all of us it could be meditation in different ways it could be journaling it could be learning to ground ourselves but it's really about connecting to who we truly are what we truly want to experience because so often We're saying, my child, you know, never listens to me. And it's what is it that you truly want? Well, I want to feel heard. Okay. How do we cultivate and support feeling heard? Or I want my husband to help clean up around here. Okay. What I really want is to feel supported. How do we cultivate that feeling of support within us? And so all of these tools and answers are within us. And I think this is where we create this union between mind, body, and spirit to tap into these resources and how we see life, interpret life, approach life, and our relationships, and therefore experience it. That's great. The idea of being distinct, but yet still
0: part of the all. It's the same principle being applied to the relationship that you have with your kids. And I think as a mother, that's probably particularly apt because this child was literally part of you. (laughs) And so it's that interesting way of how do I disconnect enough to not Place my projections
1: onto this kid. And get so tied up in who I, quote unquote, need them to be because that's coming from our own stories. And yes, it's so easy to project it, like you said, because they literally came from us. And so often that creates almost an onus of ownership Mm -hmm. over their experience, over the path that we need them to take so that we get to feel a certain way. Yeah. So you mentioned
0: using tools like meditation or anything else, but for that particular problem, how do you help people come to that realization that this is a distinct individual? (laughs) They're allowed to have their own experiences.
1: Yeah, it's a combination of things. But one is starting to share the newest in brain science, like research and how the brain develops and Mm -hmm. how... We shift from that traditional parenting model because that's what tells us that we need to have this control to fix their behavior, to focus on this is this traditional parenting model. So it's part education and just relearning and questioning those beliefs and stories that we grew up with. And therefore, it's how we see our child. Mm. And then it's connecting to ourselves because, like you said, we're projecting so much onto them. It's seeing how our perceptions, our interpretations, our expectations play into our approach, which therefore becomes the result that we get. Because I believe on an energetic level, I love the quote, I think it's Tri Ravi Shankar who says, we communicate more with our presence than our words ever do. And I share this mm-hmm. with moms all the time. Because when I'm disconnected from myself, my kids need me even more because- okay. They're feeling that disconnection on an energetic level. So it's part education and relearning what we believe to be true about the parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of that, it's learning to love ourselves again, learning that we are worthy and we are enough, not in what our child does or, or who they become, but that we are inherently enough. So it's really about our relationship to ourself as a means of showing up differently In our relationships, because this doesn't mean I don't hold boundaries with my child that I'm either trying to teach them or I'm respecting my own needs. So I hold these boundaries, but I do it from a place of love and connection, not from resentment and punishment and other means to to fix and control.
0: To go back to your psychology point, it's it's so true that in the old paradigm where punishment was seen as a means of effective behavioral modification and it,
1: sure but also moment, very traumatic yeah <laughs> in the moment it can be very quote-unquote effective which is mm-hmm. what leads us to continue this paradigm model over and over because in the moment i have stopped the behavior mm-hmm. but at what cost right because um behavior is the downstream communication of an upstream need or feeling yes and if I'm only focusing on that behavior all humans act that way mm-hmm. If I'm reacting to my partner I'm needing to feel supported or heard but he's only focusing on the fact that I'm being snarky with him then uh-huh. we get an argument right right but it's the same with our kiddos if we're only focused on that behavior in the traditional parenting where it is again in the patriarchal masculine energy it's the what are they doing I need them to stop doing that so I can have peace and calm and that kind of energy versus shifting from that and relearning what we've been led to believe to be true from what was modeled to us. Yes. It's
0: the modeling that's so important, isn't it? Because that's the only thing that you've been exposed to. And so anything
1: else seems ridiculous. That's not what worked for me. Yeah. (laughs) We come into parenting with... On a subconscious level, an idea of how a child should be, how Mm -hmm. a parent should be. And this is why what has created this shift in how I see motherhood is because I have so many moms that come to me, I've read the books. I listen to the podcast, I hear the tools, I know what to do. I can't freaking figure out how to do it and how (laughs) to implement it. And I keep yelling at my kids. I keep being reactive to them. I keep wanting to use punishments, even though I know that I want to be different. How come I can't be different? And this is why we need to recode on that subconscious level. We need to learn to question those beliefs. This is like the reparenting work. That's a buzzword right now, but it's basically going back in because that child that didn't feel heard when you were five years old, who was punished for having feelings, who was told to suck it up, that child is still inside of you. And, it, and with the subconscious mind, it doesn't know time. So when I'm in the relationship with my child, I'm reliving that part of me, but now I'm reliving it as the giant as the adult, as the person in power. My husband has a saying that eventually came out because we kept questioning it. When he was a child, there was so much out of his control that he used to say to himself over and over again, when I'm an adult, I get to do whatever I want. When I'm an adult, I get to do what I want. I get to make these choices. So like when it comes to like, budget. We have this budget. And then he goes to the store and comes home. I'm like, what are we doing? Oh, you're an adult. You get to do what you want. And we keep replaying these scripts over and over again. And so we need to bring awareness to it, then recode it on a conscious level. I can read a book. Oh, this makes perfect sense. I understand the brain science around like why, I want to parent differently. And then in the moment, I just can't do it. And then we go into the guilt and shame. There must be something wrong with me. Why can't I do this? And we keep swirling in that. And this is where creating that connection to our deepest self to relearn that we get to be loved unconditionally, that we are unconditional love. But what we did learn was there's conditions placed on love, placed on attention, respect, affection. And so now we're still replaying these conditions in our life, in our relationships over and over again.
0: Yeah, you hit on a lot there. So we're talking about timeline healing. We're talking about inner child work. (laughs) So I think the first thing that I want to touch on is you mentioned people being given all of the tools, like they're they're reading the books, they listen to the podcast, but still coming at it from an old paradigms perspective. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there is this idea of being the mom, but also taking on the persona of a masculine expression of it like you have to be both from the old paradigm the dad was just the provider and didn't necessarily take care of anything they just arrived at home and everything was fine so when you are reliving the old paradigm and your mom and your kind of dad at the same time and how do you interact with these tools in a way that allows you more flow
1: yeah so what what i hear you asking is how do we shift that energy mm-hmm. into kind of being that more feminine energy it begins again with awareness that there is two different ways of being because not only did we witness this growing up but we were in many cases brought up to this it was goals what can we achieve in school how successful can we be which is always a very masculine energy and what we don't realize is We're often seeing parenting from this masculine energy, what my child has to do, the goals we have to achieve, how we have Mm -hmm. to show up. So it begins with simply the awareness. We get to shift to a different way of being. And part of that is learning that it exists, learning that we can ask for what we want in a way that we're speaking to our desires without focusing on the doing. So what do I mean by that? So there might be a, a night that I'm like, oh, I'd love not to do the dishes tonight. I can speak that energy and I can be open to receive. I may do the dishes that night. I may not. And it's shifting from speaking to those desires and showing up in a way that we feel empowered in our relationship. So I talk about this unique self. And when I talk about self, I I love acronyms. I'm all about acronyms. So I Mm -hmm. talk about our our sovereign being like, what are the rules we want to have and operate from? Is it that The more I do, others are taken care of? Or is it like the more I can be in an energy of being, the more fun we have? And like things still get done. And I find that when I shift to that energy, it's almost like I expand time. So it's like, what are the rules I want to create and operate from? And that's where a lot of that masculine feminine comes in (laughs) because we've been leading with the masculine, but can I shift? into seeing it differently. And then E is empowered. How am I showing up with confidence in what I want and asking for what I desire in my own life? And then L is love. Am I connected to that love within me, that inherent love and worthiness within me? And then F is focused within. Every time I feel triggered, what we've been led to believe again, that our circumstances happen outside of us. Therefore, I need my child or my partner to do be, act, say something so that I get to feel a certain way. But in this paradigm, we shift to always looking inward so that I know that the answers are within me. Just the other night, my husband got irritated. He thought I had reprimanded him in front of the kid. So he was irritated at me. And so he comes with this energy and I'm immediately able to drop into, I was feeling unsupported in that moment. I was feeling like I always have to be the bad guy. So we can speak to what is actually happening within this versus you're being such a jerk. So of course I was a jerk back, right? Like we focus outward and we just create more disconnection. But when we can own it and take radical responsibility for the feeling, like in talking about, I create my own experience. What I see it is I control how I interpret, perceive, and respond to my experiences. When we talk about controlling our experiences, like I can't control, my kid just drew on the wall. it it happened. I can accept that it happened. But when I'm in a thing of, I need to control this, then I'm going to use punishments because it was wrong. I'm past focused. And instead, when I shift to looking within, I'm thinking, oh, now I'm thinking of how hard it's going to be to clean that. And why don't I have control of my child? And I'm needing to feel like I'm being a good mom. And now I feel like I'm failing so I can focus within. And now I'm like, okay, I can teach my child that there are a natural consequence to doing that, which is now we've got to clean the wall. Now I'm going to help my child paint this area of the wall. And I become a guide and a teacher, but that has to happen first from shifting that focus. Yeah,
0: that would be, that sounds like a hard example.
1: (laughs) That could be a big triggering one. It could be, that was probably a big one, but it could be something as simple as, okay, I make dinner and my child doesn't like what I made. And by changing the focus, I've given up caring that they don't like what I make. I always make sure that there's one or two things on the table that they do, or maybe there's yogurt in the fridge that they can grab. But my creative outlet is creating in the kitchen. And I like to create things that my kids don't always like. And I gave up feeling like that was a personal attack mm. against me. Then I could just be like, this is what I'm making tonight. I know it's not something you usually love. Is there you know, something else we can put together for you quick? And some people are like, well, I'm not going to be a short order cook. And I was like, yes, I get that. And that's your choice. I want to cultivate the experience of mealtime as being relaxed and enjoyable. And if that means I have a few quick things that I can give to the kids while I enjoy something else. That's good for me. This is, again, creating our unique rules, so to speak, for our own queendom, if you will, like our own version of motherhood and what that looks like. And it doesn't have to be all of these shoulds and rules that we may have been operating from. I like
0: how you are placing a lot of emphasis on just my perspective of things, not anyone else's idea, not dad's idea, not the kid's idea. The idea of femininity and motherhood in general, traditionally, that's a no-no. (laughs) you're not supposed to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been basically given the memo that motherhood is selflessness and to do anything different is selfishness. Mm -hmm. However, I also know that the energy that flows through me is the energy that flows into my family. Mm -hmm. And when I am being selfless and giving from a place of being drained, being exhausted, eventually being resentful, I am not having the experience that I want to have in parenting and motherhood. It's often like, I just need to have more patience. No, patience is a limited commodity. Like, mm-hmm. you will never have enough patience. <laughs> I like to talk about patience fatigue, like decision fatigue. Okay. We will always run out if our method is putting this band aid of patience on a depleted individual. You're never going to have enough. And so, when we take motherhood back and we say, actually, To be the mother, this is what I need to do. Or I like to say, we know you love your kids, but your capacity to show up in that loving, calm, kind of flowing space comes from the things we do for us. It comes with this connection we have to our needs. So I know for me that going to bed by 930 every night is what I need to do to show up the next day. Getting time outdoors every day is something I need to do. Even though it's zero degrees here in upstate New York, I'm still (laughs) walking my dog outside because I know if, if I'm tumbling down that negative energetic space, I know it's up to me to reset that. It's not that I need my kids to be quiet or behave better. Now, that doesn't mean I get to not set boundaries on their behavior or the noise levels, but I do it from a place of love and connection by focusing inward first it's a completely different interaction. And the cooperation I get comes from the connection that I have with my kids. I use the example on like connection and cooperation is like my husband likes things a little bit more picked up than I care about. And yet I value our connection. So I make the extra effort to clean things up, be neater in certain areas. And so when we want our kids to quote unquote cooperate, it comes from that place of connection. Like they have to care what we want. And to know that we care comes from knowing that we've got their back, not that we're here to nag and punish and take things away from them when they don't do it. And the only way we get to that space where we can operate like that is by focusing inward.
0: Yeah. You're hitting on something that is in a larger sense, not just in its application towards parenting and relationships. When you keep talking about the self, yeah. In a, like a spiritual sense, there's this idea that in order to ascend, you have to stop thinking about yourself as you. You're supposed to kill the ego. You're supposed to kill the self. And I'm like, man, that's unhealthy. We really can't be doing that. You're you on purpose. What is it like to have the experience of being Irene or Julia or whoever you are? And you're bringing up the point that the more that you focus on your particular individual needs, you're actually able to show up in a healthier, more loving, more connected, selfless way.
1: Yeah. If I'm focused in, then my capacity to show up in this way changes. And when that shifts, this is what ripples out and changes my family, changes generations to come Mm -hmm. after. This, I believe, is that spiritual connection. If I'm deeply connected to me and what I need, as an individual, then we go up the levels of consciousness. So I'm showing up in courage. I'm showing up in love. I'm showing up in those higher states versus fear mm-hmm. versus despair and hopelessness versus all of those lower energy vibes. My ability to do that comes from connecting to me.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's all coming from, from within you, always, all the time. And ascend is one of my trigger words. It drives me a little bit nuts. As if we're supposed to not be having this human experience, I'm like, do you think you're here? This was an oopsies. You're here on purpose. (laughs) And you mentioned how this sort of thing heals generations. And to get back to the idea of timeline healing, the work that you're talking about, it's so transformative and so healing that not only will it affect the timeline, if we're going to think about it as linear into the future, you're going to be able to change the way that you've related to your past. And you're going to be able to change the way that even perhaps your ancestors or even your living relatives change the way that they relate to it. And it's not necessarily that you're changing the actions that have been taken, but you're changing the way that everyone relates to it and everyone can see things a little bit softer and everyone can start healing from it instead of just recreating that trauma over and over again.
1: Yeah. To me, I think motherhood is when we shift to seeing our children as our greatest teachers, Mm -hmm. right? They are calling on us to heal these parts of ourselves that have come from the pain of past generations. Mm -hmm. Like my parents doing the very best that they could showed up a certain way based on how they were parented. And we go back. So here I am saying, okay, this pain stops with me, and that's how I'm, and like you said, that's how I'm shifting it. And yet the way we know where our pain points are, our children light them up really well. <laughs> like yeah. they like shine a flashlight of, oh, here, right here, this thing I do that irritates you every single time, <laughs> oh, some healing needs to happen here. We need yeah. to look back at this. And so it's really an opportunity to step into this version of ourselves as we were born into this, physical body to be the state of love, the state of, you know, deep connection and the path to that. If we choose to see it that way, is not to fix our kids' behavior, but to see how our triggers come from our own story. And when I shift those triggers, when I understand them, when I heal them, when I talk to that inner child part of me that is still in pain, Mm -hmm. now I'm responding totally different to my child.
0: Yeah. And it's seeing the triggers as opportunities for healing instead of someone that's just out to get you.
1: Your triggers are your own problem. That's what I hear all the time. Like my child's pushing their buttons. I'm like, yes, but is that a bad thing? (laughs) Could that be a good thing? Because they do know. They begin to quote unquote, trust in our reactions, Mm -hmm. right? What we model, we model how they do that. And and we have this inner and outer world and a child is always trying to create balance as we all are as humans. And okay, I know if I do this, mom's pretty much going to do this, which is also one of the reasons why when you shift how you parent, it's likely going to get worse before it gets better. And you're (laughs) going to be like, oh my God, what's going on here? Because your child, you've just totally put a pin in the balloon of the balance between their inner and outer worlds. And so Mm -hmm. now, oh, mom's not, yelling at me when I do this. So I need to ramp up my behavior so that I get that same thing. So I create balance. This is why it's a long-term game and parenting from a place of consciousness, parenting, peaceful parenting. I I don't like the labels, but when we choose to parent this way, it is the long-term game. It is what am I modeling? What am I teaching? What am I guiding my child knowing that they are their own person and they may not hold the same values as me when they're an adult but what are the ones I hope to pass on? How can I relate to them from a place of connection versus trying to squash this behavior in this moment?
0: Yeah. The fact that parenting is a long game because as you're talking, I was just thinking of kids that draw on walls, but you're right. You're stuck with them at least until they're 18. So how do you evolve this perspective or is it the same perspective as the kid, as your kid grows?
1: Yeah. So you have the child drawing on the wall. Now, if all I do is smack them on the hand and send them up to their room, what they're doing is building resentment for me. So what they may be doing is now they're going to go break a toy because I was on the phone and they needed attention and connection. So they were using the best strategy they came up with because even negative attention is attention. So they were using the best strategy they came up with to get that. But if all I focus on is the behavior and I send them away and I didn't fill that need, they're going to ask for it in bigger ways. So an example I like to share is this was a couple of years ago. It was my younger son's birthday. I'm getting ready. We're just having family over when that was a thing and I'm getting ready for it. I'm like trying to cook and clean. And my son, so they're 15 months apart. My older son starts to like make a mess and throw things and like just bug his brother and just quote unquote act up. And I wanted to just send him up to his room. Like, Come on, I don't have time for this. Like what the, what the freak are we doing here? But instead, I'm like, okay, I don't know what it is yet, but there's something that he's needing. So I sent him out to play. I cleaned up. And then I went and put him in what I said were my hug handcuffs and he couldn't be free until I gave him like a hundred kisses and he (laughs) laughed and we had a minute and we spent five minutes together. And the thing is after that, all of the behaviors went away. So Mm -hmm. here was a child on a day that was all about his brother. He's six, right? At the time, here's a day all about his brother that he needed to feel valued. He needed to feel like he was still worthy of attention and affection. And by giving him that, I'm not rewarding him with attention. I'm filling that deeper need. So he didn't need to use the behaviors. So how does this evolve? So in that instance, my child's draws on the wall. So now I'm like, oh my goodness, what have we done here? Paper is for drawing. Now we're going to, we're going to clean this wall. And maybe if I have it, we're going to get some paint out and we're going to paint it together. So I'm teaching them like, oh, our choices have these natural consequences, but I'm, handling it in a connected way. So then when they get older, I don't have a teenager who's, in, who's getting risky behavior sneaking around because what does the goal become if I pu- just punish them? Now I just need to get away with it. Yeah. I need to hide it. I need to get away with it. And then I'm going to be looking for maybe attention or affection or respect outside of you. So I'm going to go to my peers. And sometimes the peers don't have the best interest at heart because mm. they're writing their own story. And so this is how, when we think of it as the long game, it's okay. They drew on the wall for a reason. There's a quote shared with me recently that was like, why would a great child choose this behavior? So then I'm already starting with seeing them as this great, perfect being that made a choice in that moment. Why might have they made it? Oh, they might've made it because... I told them to go play because I was busy and they really needed some attention. Or maybe I've never told them before that we draw on paper, or maybe I don't have paper available and they wanted to be creative so I can get curious about what's happening. And as I do that over and over in these experiences, I'm creating natural opportunities for teaching. Oh, now we need to clean the wall. Maybe we need to paint over it. And as I do that, What they're creating is this internal motivation, this internal guiding light of, quote, unquote, what is right or wrong. But if all I'm doing is this authority figure where I'm telling you that's bad or that's good, basically a child's, oh, I don't need to know what's bad or good. You're always going to tell me what I have to do. And then they're 18 and we see these kids floundering when they get to college. They don't know what to do or how to make choices on their own or what decisions to make. So they're looking for somebody to tell them what to do. And maybe that's when they go to that party and they're like, oh, here, do this. And they're like, oh, somebody telling me what to do. Okay, so this is why when we actually engage and connect, yes, it is a much longer game. Yes, it takes more energy in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, it takes more intention in the moment. But what am I creating in the long-term? I
0: like how you keep focusing on not just treating the symptom, but the cause of the problem. It seems as if there's a, I'm not knocking on Western medicine, but there is a parallel between how we approach a quote-unquote problem where we just uh, deal with the surface issue that we don't want to be looking at rather than why it's happening in the first place. And dealing with the why it's happening in the first place is a longer commitment than just sending a kid up to their room or something like that. But when you get down to the needs of it, I think not only – because this is something that you can use for your kid as well as for yourself, though, because that's that's part of it. That's what you were saying
1: earlier on. I can't get to this place of calmly responding to my child who just wrote on the wall Mm -hmm. if I haven't taken care of me first, if I haven't questioned the beliefs and what I need, if I haven't given to me. If I'm running on empty and exhausted, my capacity to show up calm in that moment – is and so
0: when we're coming from this place of showing up for the self first, taking care of your own needs, it's like a revolution in your mind <laughs> where you're shifting everything to all of a sudden you're the nexus point, like you're the fulcrum. Everything starts here and then that's where balance comes from because i would assume that the way that we parent our children are also the way that we have learned to parent ourselves especially our inner child mm-hmm. how can you help them understand that inner child doesn't need its symptoms dealt with it needs its the reasons behind why they're acting out and just to make this question even more complicated how do you help them <laughs> how do you help them understand even what that deeper issue is
1: it's really through asking the right questions. Okay. Like when I work with clients, it's really reflecting back what they're saying and asking the next question that gets them to look mm. deeper within and gets them to look deeper within. What do you think if you're reacting in this way, what is the likely result in that? And tying it back into like into their body. So what were your thoughts in that moment when your child wrote on the wall? Yeah. Okay. And it usually comes back to some version of I'm failing. I'm not doing enough. And so then it's okay. What is this costing you? And it's really just tying it back in. And then it's saying, okay, how would this have been handled in your childhood? Or how did you feel supported in your childhood? And so it's bringing them back to connecting the dots between them all. Because we often just see our current experience here. And we're seeing it from our own lens, our own perception. And because we never learn to question our beliefs, we're just believing them. We're just believing our thoughts. And thoughts mm-hmm. are so fast that we don't even know the actual thoughts we're thinking. So it really comes down to... Me asking the right questions and then teaching my clients how to ask themselves the right questions so they can create these shifts.
0: Yeah, it sounds as if you're really talking about don't do this alone. It's really helpful to have someone who can hold up a mirror for you. Yes,
1: it absolutely is because we don't see our own stuff. Even now, like if something's going on for me, I call a coach or a friend. I'll be like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And they'll ask those right questions. I've also gotten really good at having done this work for so long at asking myself those questions. Mm -hmm. So my goal is at at some point, like clients for the most part, learn to ask themselves these questions. And there's going to be points in time where you're still not going to see the right question and you still need to dig deeper. So yes, having that support, I think is vital. I don't think motherhood is something we were meant to do alone. I think the village, so to speak, has evolved to what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think it's vital to have that support and not just vent about our complaints and our issues, because all venting does is keep us right exactly where we are. If we actually want to change, it comes to having those that hold space for us and call us to more. There's those that support us who are like, girl, I hear you, let's go, let's have a glass of wine together. Like that supports vital, but then there's also those friends that stretch us. Right. They are the friends that ask these questions and it might be friends if you have them, it might be a coach, it might be being in a community that supports you. There are many ways, but it's holding you accountable to the vision that you hold for yourself. This is why we read that book and we have all these great ideas of what we're going to do. But without that support and accountability and stretch, it's like an old coat that we put on. That's just, it's full of holes. It's not keeping us warm, but man, is it comfortable and familiar mm-hmm. instead of that new coat you're asking me to put on that just feels scratchy and stiff and it doesn't feel good and it feels hard and it feels messy. And mm, I don't want to do that. We will always go back to what's comfortable. It's how the brain was made. We are made to survive and feel safe and change no matter how much we think we want it on a conscious level doesn't come from that place. We have to understand what's happening deeper. Do you ever run into people who are like, I am so ready for the change,
0: but after a while the subconscious comes into play and it starts
1: like sabotaging. How do you help people oh, 1, get over? 1,000%. Yeah. The containers I work with, like my one-on-one clients are six months long. And they're that for a mm. reason because mm. a lot of this stuff comes up. I'm also available in between sessions. So if, if you need to be talked off the cliff, like just send me a <laughs> message, we'll talk through it. And that's where support is so vital because like you said, that subconscious will come in and it will quote unquote sabotage us in ways that feel 1,000% truthful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had to say yes to volunteering with my child's Girl Scout troop. Like I, I had to do that. So now I don't have time to do this work or I had to host this big birthday party. So now I didn't have time to do my action steps for this week. And I'm not saying that those things aren't true. It's how we perceive and how we label them and how they are underneath taking the place of having time to do this. So we don't see our sabotages as being sabotage.
0: Is it, to use the example of the, I had to volunteer for my child's Girl Scout camp. Mm-hmm. Is it framing the story as to that may be true, but is that your belief or is that someone else's belief?
1: Yeah. Where's that should, why do you have to, are you a yes for that in your body? Are you a yes for that? Or are you a, I really don't want to do this. But I think people are going to be disappointed in me, or people are going to look at me like, who is she to say no to this? Or, mm-hmm. right? Because this goes back to our place of being selfless and not honoring. Because again, we learned that love, attention, affection have conditions. Right. So I need to say yes to volunteering so that these other moms like me. I I don't want to risk the quote unquote conflict of saying no and having to justify that because we do think then if we need to say no, there has to be a good enough reason for it. So yes, it's also questioning what are you really a yes for and what are you a no for and starting to learn to listen to it. And if you say yes and you realize, oh my gosh, I am really a no for this. This has happened to me many times. How can you step out of it? How can you take ownership of that and take radical responsibility, so to speak, for that and make a different choice and honor your time or your space. Or what will you do differently next time? This is building that awareness.
0: Yeah. What will you do differently next time? That's the thing. And being aware enough to realize that, oh, there's that trigger again. And here Like you I actually am can say in. no.
1: Like you actually can. And yes, they may be mad at you. Yes, they may be upset with you. And you can still say no. Yeah. And it brings up another
0: good point. When you are dealing with someone who's realized that, oops, this is my pothole that I keep stepping into. How deep within the work do you go do you say this is just what this is and so let's make different choices or Do you find it useful
1: to help people like really dig into it? It depends on the energy that they're operating from. There's value in understanding and I'm also operating from the coaching realm. So we're always focusing on our future actionable behaviors. If we come upon a trauma or a story that needs to be gone deeper into, I'm going to refer you to somebody to help you to uncover the story deep beneath. I don't Mm -hmm. need to know those stories to help you make different choices in the future. However, if you keep getting stuck on the same one where you're struggling to really show up in your life in this empowered way, then we may need some extra support in there in terms of a therapist or somebody who can help you really uncover that deeper pain and understand it. That's a
0: good point. In my work, sometimes it doesn't necessarily help at all to almost relive the trauma to get to the origination point because what good is that we're not even there anymore so we don't need to keep recreating it yes so helping my clients
1: same thing i was just going to interrupt really quick it's like helping my clients see that like the past happened in the past Mm -hmm. yes there is value to understanding it however understanding it doesn't necessarily mean a different future yeah
0: exactly and that is the next thing sometimes when you just deal with it on the surface It sounds shallow, but sometimes you don't need to dig all that up again. And life will present you with opportunities to deal with a deeper issue if it's there. Sometimes when we go deeper into an issue, we end up creating an issue. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. Sometimes it's just bringing awareness, coming back to that word, of the patterns that you keep showing up in. Like every time your husband goes off and like starts working When you think he should be home connecting with you, this is the feeling that comes up. So if this is the feeling, what's the thought behind it? We can shift that thought. We shift that feeling. Now we do also dive into some understanding of there was likely a time in childhood where again, you felt you had to earn attention or love or whatever the case may be. So that's why this is showing up, but we don't need to understand the depths of it. This is the old behavior. This is where you want to go. Let's not get stuck on the bridge getting there. I like that. Let's not get
0: stuck on the bridge because so many people do that. You're trying to get from one place to the next. And I know I'm guilty of this. And instead of focusing on where I want to be, I get stuck on how am I going to get there? And then as I keep ruminating about how I'm going to get there, I create the problem itself instead of just trusting the process. But that's sometimes that's hard. The trust of the process is really difficult.
1: It can be difficult. That's to me why having support, especially longer term support is so vital because it feels so freaking messy in the interim (laughs) and it feels so hard and there's going to be days where you're like, I don't want to grow. I don't want to learn about me today. I just want to sit here and binge watch Netflix and eat peanut butter out of the jar and just sit like it's not this constant push. And Your pattern may be that now I'm stuck in this for a month where with support, you're like, maybe I stay there for a week or maybe I stay there for a day or maybe I just need an hour to just let everything go. And so this is where having that person, having a community that you show up in regularly that calls you forward is so vital to staying in it because the patterns in our brain that are so active now, they've had a lot of years to lay Mm -hmm. down tracks. That's true. And when you are stressed you're going to naturally go down what you already know. And so rewiring means I have to constantly commit to this new path. And that feels like a lot of work, especially in the beginning. So there's these stages to change as I see them. We have the desire for change, right? And we could stay in desire our whole lives, Mm -hmm. but then we go to knowledge and this is where I'm reading the books and I'm learning new stuff. And then we have implementation and implementation is this huge container, Mm -hmm. But what we often do is we like dip a toe in implementation. It feels like everything goes off wire. And so I must need to know more. So I go back to knowledge. So I'm like dipping my toe in implementation. What I don't know is I need to jump into this pool of implementation and just start swimming. And sometimes I'm swimming through clear water. Sometimes it's stormy. Sometimes it's rocky. But I'm not going to get to trust and confidence and embodiment of a new way of being until I'm in this container of implementation for what could be a long time. They say habits take what, like 66 to 365 days. And we have emotional habits. We have thought habits and we don't change them. We can't set a boundary with somebody. And it's set it and forget it. And now they're going to honor it every single time. But often we think that's what's supposed to happen. And so now I must be doing something wrong or I don't get to have this. I'm not worthy of these boundaries. And we go into our own head and our own stories. To me, coaching is about this pool of implementation. And these are your long-term goals. This is the goal for this week. And we just keep swimming forward. And sometimes you're treading water. Sometimes the current is pushing you backwards. But having that support is about staying in the pool and not climbing out to the bank you were already on Mm -hmm. to learn more about how to swim.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing about embodiment, right? You actually have to do it. (laughs) You can't just learn about it.
1: You actually have to give it a shot. Yeah, it has to be. It's practice. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm wondering about your thoughts on, I may be making this turn up, but almost like destinationism, where you're focused on some sort of destination that's out there, And we're always in this process of trying to get to it.
1: Or we're focused on this certain outcome. And we want to leapfrog everything and get to the outcome. And that's actually what creates overwhelm, where the brain has an outcome and doesn't know the steps to get there because we're so focused on the steps down the road. We're not focused on the next step. Like We don't actually choose the actual outcome that happens. What we do is we choose the next little step that we take and then the next little step. And every step we take can be a step towards what we want. Or further away from what we want. But we often don't see all those tiny steps as being choices to take us that way. We only see the big steps that we need to take to get there. And we don't know how to do those. So therefore, we can't have the thing that we want. Or we can't get to the destination that we want. Because I'm so focused on these big, huge things. My gut is a big thing that I'm in right now. And Mm -hmm. every time I choose to eat, I choose something with gluten. I choose something without gluten. And if I do that often enough, and I keep choosing something without, I'm going to get to the outcome where I've healed my gut to the point that this is going to get better. But if I don't see those little choices, I only focus on, oh, I need to give up gluten so that I hopefully can have this. Then it feels big and it feels overwhelming and it feels like I'll never get there.
0: And it takes you out of the feeling of embodiment as well.
1: Or empowered, or like sovereign, where I'm making my own rules. It takes us out of all of those things that actually connect us to who we are within ourselves. And we're seeing life as happening outside of ourselves, versus we actually have all of these little choices all day long. Don't focus on too many things because there is decision fatigue. And if I'm like actively trying to change too many things, it's going to be overwhelming. But if you really pick one and you really focus on one and you just keep taking that step, knowing that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles, but keep that vision. And this is a lot of the work that I do is help people bring that vision into reality. What I help clients do is we embody this version of you. Now, who is the version of you that has a deeply connected relationship? How is she responding in these moments? And we start cultivating that now, then you get to have what you want. And the doing just happens naturally. But it it comes from that place of implementation. I often say implementation works when you are okay with getting it wrong a heck of a lot more than you quote unquote, get it right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You have to just be willing to get it wrong because in the beginning, change happens from a place of reflection. Oh, I yelled at my kids five times today. Okay. What happened each time? Instead of going into guilt and shame and feeling bad, it's okay. What happened each of those times? Help me understand. What were my thoughts that I was thinking? What were the feelings that I was having? that led to the action that I took. Then once I've reflected over and over again, now I catch myself in the moment. I have enough awareness to catch myself in the moment and stop that reaction and be like, okay, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And I can shift that in the moment before I ever get to that embodiment place, before I ever get to where I'll just be calm about something that used to throw me off the rails. And I'm like, oh, look at me, look at me (laughs) doing this. And that's a lot of time and a lot of intention and a lot of nothing changing on the outside. It's like, here I am doing all this work on the inside and I'm not seeing any change on the outside. It took a long time for that cooperation with my kiddos to come full circle. And now I'll ask him to do something. Is it every time? No, but I'll ask him to do something and he does not I'm like, huh, look at that. I guess we feel connected today, right? But there was a lot of time. There was a lot of the defiance, a lot of the talking back, a lot of the not doing what I asked. A lot of the time that I had to operate from this place of connection and focusing on what is this bringing up in me and why do I think I should react this way and showing up differently. And that's what actually shifted on the outside. Yeah. It sounds as if
0: to be that embodiment of that person, that ideal that you're trying to achieve, you first have to be the person that is going to be able to make all those small little choices that will get you to your end goal. You have to embody that person first, because if you're just going to be where you were before, you're not going to be able to be in the moment and make those little choices. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And this is where having a container to remind you of those choices is Mm -hmm. what can be so vital to actually creating the ultimate experience that you want to have.
0: Yeah. And I like how you keep placing an emphasis on the small choices rather than A big one, right? Because the big one can seem more powerful than you are. But if you can take it into little chunks and say, I'm not climbing Mount Everest. I'm stepping over mole hills all day. And if
1: we go back to like my example with gluten, it comes down to, okay, can I look up recipes that I might like that don't have that ingredient in it? I go to the grocery store and now I choose to buy those foods. So that's what I have in the house. So it's all of those little steps along the way versus just this big, gigantic jumping into the pool like a cannonball and then being like, Oh my God, what have I done? But it is these small steps. If all I do is wait for the fact that I've given up gluten for three months and celebrate that, then I'm missing the opportunity to celebrate every meal and every decision. Because what the brain does, if you celebrate something, the brain's, oh, we like that. We want more of that. But if every meal I'm focused on, oh, I don't get to eat that pizza today. I don't get to have that. The brain's, we don't like this very much. Let's go have some of that. And this is where we veer off. But if I'm celebrating every decision that I make that takes me closer to my goal, I am laying this foundation for more of that. Yeah, I love that. I
0: think you're absolutely right. And I feel you with the gluten thing. Gluten messes me up, man. And I've been for almost a decade, I think at this point, I've had to cut out gluten. And you are very much, oh, I can't have pizza. And also, I went vegan almost on accident. And when you're trying to explain to someone how to do it, and they're like, no. Che- no cheese? None? And I'm like, yeah. But eventually, you do small little things that you don't even notice them. And one day, you are like, oh my god, I had cheese in my refrigerator, and I forgot. And you have a slice of cheese. And you're like, oh, I just put garbage in my mouth. Like, eventually, you train or yourself to. You pay attention to, to like,
1: what how you, how does my body feel exactly. now that I did that? And if yeah. I can tie into actually this doesn't feel good? Mm -hmm. then it's much easier to make those choices later on instead of beating yourself up about having that cheese. Because (laughs) if all we do is spend our energy on beating ourselves up or having that bite of cheese, we're not finding the lesson in it. We're not saying, okay, I had the cheese because I went into the fridge blindly. I was not in a place of conscious decisions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, great. Now, how does my body feel? You know what? I feel bloated. I feel crappy. I I feel sluggish. I'm going to pay more attention next time I make a choice. Yeah, Exactly. Irene,
0: I love this conversation. Thank you so much for having it. Do you want to tell everyone where to find you?
1: Yeah. So the best places are on my website, com. I have freebie on there you can grab. You can connect with me, learn about me, join my newsletter where I go out every week and share behind the scenes of my life and how I operate from this perspective that we've talked about today. And then I have a podcast as well. So Thrive in Motherhood is really a conversation around personal development in motherhood so that you get to mm-hmm. thrive. And those are the two best places. I'm taking a little bit of a social media break right now. So focus on those two places and I would love to connect. All right. Thank you so much, Irene. And we'll see you next time, everyone.